Well, good morning again. Good morning. Um, I didn't mention this, but welcome back, our snowbirds. Yay! You survived. You made it here. Um, it's going to be cold this week to us, so don't make fun of us. <laughs> All right. So, but I'm so glad everyone's here. Um, man, I, I can't believe it's already 2019. I mean, last year just kind of flew by. It seems like every year, the older I get, the faster they go. Um, and so we are in a new year, um, and just but with the same focus. Um, I believe with all my heart that every person is out there looking for a purpose, looking for meaning, and that God has that for us. And so I'm excited that we're going to go through um, this series. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, sometimes it's going to get uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be challenging. Sometimes it's going to maybe step on some toes. Um, I've already stepped on mine, so it's your turn. Um, but I believe with all my heart we are made for mission. And that we are made and God has a plan for us. And I, my prayer is that over the next few weeks as we go through this is that we discover that in our own lives. And we discover how that fits in to our world, to this church, to this community or wherever we're at. That God's got a plan and a purpose for you this morning. So I'm very, very excited about this. And I hope you're ready um, to kind of jump in. And so um, this morning we're going to start with a very simple statement that we are all called. No one has no one is excluded from that. It's not if you're a pastor or if you're a missionary and stuff. It is that we are all called. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have them, we have them spread out around here. Um, you, are, you can grab one of those, put your name in it. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. Again, if you want to use our Wi-Fi, it's up there, GBC Guest. Just type in Find More in all lower caps, and you can follow along with us there. Um, but again... Every year, and as long as I'm here, I'm just going to keep reminding you, these are the only words that matter. I mean, there, there's nothing I can say that can make any difference, but these words can change everything for us. And so, out of respect for that, and out of acknowledgement of that story, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we read in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. We read, as Jesus went, out, went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for a new year that you've given us, a new opportunity, new mercies, new grace, all of it, God. And as we are stepping into it, Father, I just pray that this morning that you would begin something in our hearts, in our lives, God, that would just last all year long. God, that you would start a movement, that you would start a fire inside of us and in this church. God, you have called us to stand for you, to speak for you, to live for you. And so, God, I just pray that whatever is going on in our lives, Father, for the next few moments, Father, we, you would just silence our hearts, that you would calm our minds, and that, God, these would be your words and not mine, that you would speak, that you would challenge, but most of all, that you would change us. 
And God, may you get all the glory for this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, as you guess it, and if you've been around me at all, you know that my heart is that, you know, the church is here to further the kingdom of God. That, that is our reason. That is the, why the church is formed. Um, there is a mission that has never changed, that is still the same today as it was back when Acts first started, when, when Jesus walked through us, when God made this whole plan. It's always been the same. There is a mission for us. And I believe that every single one of us takes part in that. And unfortunately, I think that so many of us have gotten the idea that maybe, maybe, well, you know, I'm too old now, I've done my job, or I'm too young, or, you know, I've got this, we got a pastor, we got this, and we make a bunch of excuses, and we make a bunch of different ideas that say, well, you know, it's not, it's not my calling. If you don't hear anything else this morning or in the next few weeks, I just want to say that's a lie. It is all of our calling. We are all called to be on mission, to be a part uh, of, of all this. Because I just believe with all my heart that we are looking for something bigger. If you look at it, they did a, they did a research study, Stanford University did a research study, and said, what do people want more than anything? And they said they want happiness and meaning. But the problem is there was a great disconnect between those. You know, I know uh, our Constitution, our Declaration says we are called to the pursuit of happiness. And I can just tell you, if you're pursuing happiness, you're going to lose it all the time. Because I don't think we're here or created to pursue happiness. I think we're here to pursue meaning and purpose. And that purpose and meaning is that God made us and he has a plan for us. And in that, we find things like joy and peace. See, I would rather have a life marked with peace and joy than I would with happiness. Because happiness is always fleeting. Happiness is always circumstantial. And so I, I think there's this idea that, yes, we, we are made for something more. We, we have a purpose and we have a meaning. And people are seeking that. And because of that, we're made for mission. That there's something we need to do. There's an action. There's a lifestyle. That there's something that it's not just sitting in a chair and listening to sermons or singing songs or reading books. That there's actually an action for that. And that we're made specifically for things that God has created for you to do. In fact, that's, that's what Paul talks about. He says we are God's workmanship, his poem, his creation for, to do good works that he planned in advance for us. And so there's an action to that. There's things that we are called to do. There are things that you can do that you're called to do that I could never imagine doing and vice versa. But the problem is, is sometimes we hear that and and we have to understand that this is an all in or not in situation, I think, with God. See, I'm a very black and white guy. I'm like, there's this. I don't believe in a lot of gray areas. I think the only gray area mentioned in the Bible made Jesus sick and it was called lukewarm. I think I think you're either all in or you're not and stuff. And I was looking for a box and then I thought about it. I'd probably fall over. But it's the idea that we know that God's calling us and we may push it aside, we may push it aside, or we may put one foot in and one foot out. But the deal is, is God's calling us to be all in. And that's what I want us to hear this morning. That's what I want to resonate in our hearts and, and start asking ourselves, am I all in? Am I fully engaged in the plan that God has for my life? Because that's where you're going to find meaning. I mean, you can look everywhere else. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, what kind of degree you have, what kind of bank account you have. If you're not where God has you, you're going to always feel like you're missing something. I know that. I've spent a lot of my life with one foot in and one foot out saying, this is okay, this is good. And it's not. It's not satisfying. It becomes frustrating. We're either all in or we're not in at all. 
And so let's talk about this calling this morning. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's look back at Matthew 9, just verse 9. And it says, as Jesus, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, this is pretty amazing to me, and I don't know if you know a lot about Jewish culture. The toll booth was a tax collector. Matthew was a Jewish person that collected taxes of his friends, his family, and of his people. And basically, in the Jewish eyes, a tax collector was a traitor. They had sold out their countrymen. They had sold out their families. They had sold out everything to make money. And it wasn't a hard job. They just sat there and collected taxes. People didn't want to give. They had Roman soldiers behind them to make them give. And and so we, we see this person that seems like he's an enemy of everything that God stands for. Again, said that no one likes, no one wants to talk to. And Jesus looks at him, just looks at him and says, follow me. Follow me. You see, there's a myth, I think, that we, we deal with. I, I think we feel that calling into ministry is a, is a secondary calling. It's like it happens later on in life. You know, maybe God will call me in ministry, and, and, and it's for only the few. There's only a few people called to ministry, you know, those people that say they're going to be a pastor or a vocational minister or they're going to be a missionary and everything and that's a myth and it's not true (coughs) see there there are no excuses for us not to admit that we're called if you don't think this morning if you're like well i'm not good enough you know i'm not articulate enough i'm not smart enough i'm anything matthew was probably on the bottom of the list of everybody that would think like who would jesus call as a rabbi called or a follower This is a guy people probably just walked by, talked under their breath about, and paid no attention to. And yet Jesus stopped and looked right at him and said, follow me. See, whatever excuses you may have in your life saying, well, I can't do this. I'm not really, I'm not equipped to ministry. I haven't been to seminary. I mean, seminary. (laughs) I don't know the Greek. Be thankful. That was the worst class I ever took in my life. That was horrible. My professor always got mad at me. I says, there are computer programs that do this for me. Why do I have to know this now? I just push a button and it speaks for me. I'm like, ah, there's the Greek. (laughs) You don't need all of that. There are no excuses. I mean, last year, I think it was last year, we did a study through Corinthians. And and I love this, and I've said this before, that God, it says in Corinthians, that God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. And if you don't believe that, look who's your pastor. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter what, what your pedigree is or how much you think you know. Because we are all called. You are called. I am called in our vocation. By the way, you know what that word means, vocation? Calling. Which means that wherever you're at, whatever job you're doing, you are called to further God's kingdom right then and there. That there is no accidents because where you're at, there's no, no rhyme. There's no like just coincidence. That, hey, I live in this neighborhood, I work at this place, or I do this and stuff. I believe God is sovereign, and he puts us right where we need to be because there are people in there that need to know Jesus. There are people that need to know hope. There are people that need to know that there's peace, that there's a way that we can be reconciled to our creator. That's ministry. And we are all called to ministry. It's not just a title for a pastor it's not just it's not just a job it, it is a life 
And for too long in our churches, we have looked at it and said, well, that's not my job. I've, I've sat in this building where we've talked about evangelism, and someone said, well, that's not my job to tell people the gospel. That's why we have a pastor. I said, you're going to be very uncomfortable here. <laughs> and they were, and they left. Because it's all our jobs. We are all called. There are no excuses. If Jesus can look at somebody that was despised and hated like Matthew and say, follow me. And he just gets up and leaves. What's our excuse? Because that same call is happening today and every day. And Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. It, it takes all of us, see, because that's what Jesus is talking about back in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The very first thing that we look at is the kingdom of God. It's the only one that's going to last. This grand country, the United States of America, I served in the military. I'm proud to be American. I love living in this country. I love the freedoms that we have and, and the blessings that we've had. But it will go away. Every major governmental system in history have gone away. There's only one that's going to last, and it's the kingdom of God. And that's why he says, seek first his kingdom, which means that I am in my job, I am in my neighborhood, I am in my school, I am wherever I'm at because God has placed me there to further his kingdom right there. And when we get that, then God adds all the other stuff to it. But that's the first thing we have to get to. It is, it is our job, it is our calling, it is, it is everything. Now, I know this sounds kind of like crazy. He says, all right, well, what happens if God tells me to move to like China today or, or Afghanistan or something? You know, what, 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 what if I have to do that? I was, when I was a teenager, I was scared to death when missionaries came to my church. Missionaries would come and they're like, they're telling these stories. I'm like, God, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going where they eat people. <laughs> I'm not going where somebody's going. I saw, I read the book about the tip of the spear. No one's going to spear me in Ecuador. I'm not going, God. I'm like, God, I'm so afraid. And, and we get all this idea that we just, we're afraid, it seems. I think fear is the number one reason why people don't share the gospel. And it seems ridiculous to me because you don't save anybody. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. You tell someone about Jesus, if they don't accept him, that's on them. Jesus is the one that saves them. You just got to tell the story. If they don't like it, you walk away. <laughs> It's a win-win, and so there should be no excuses for this. But it may be that Jesus is telling us to drop it all. To whatever we're holding on to, whatever's keeping us one foot out and one foot in. Maybe he's saying, you need to let go of that. He looked at Matthew and said, hey, Matthew, you're making a lot of money. You're sitting, you get to sit in a chair on day under shade. You've got Roman guards. No one's going to pick on you. You've got the easiest job in the world. You're getting rich. By the way, let go of all that and follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Why is that? We've got to back up just a little bit. Go back up to verse 1. Remember in verse 9 it says, And Jesus went on from there. Well, let's see from where. In verse 1 it says, in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought him a paralytic on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And so he got up, went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. Guess who saw that? Matthew. Matthew, the one that was called a traitor. The one that thought, like, man, my life's over. All I can do is hang out with the worst of people and do all this stuff because no one's going to accept me and everything. And he heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. You're whole. See, see, the truth is, is I think Matthew down deep wanted to be whole again. And when he heard Jesus do that and then turn and look at him and say, follow me. He didn't wait an instant. He got up because he knew. Like hopefully we've all known that we need a savior and Jesus is it. And when we hear that call. That Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It should change everything. Matthew got up and Matthew became part of something that was bigger. Because isn't that what we want? Be part of something bigger. There's a couple of things that happen. You've got to see this. You've got to understand what happens with this calling. What happens with this calling? The very first thing is, notice that Matthew was sitting, and from sitting, he went from to following. Look back at verse 9. He says, he told him, follow me. And it says, he got up and followed him. Here's the deal. If Jesus right now, if you feel God speaking into your heart saying, I need you to go and do this and stuff, it does absolutely no good for you just to sit there. See, so many of us think our faith is just something that we check off a list. We go to church, we give enough money, we sing enough songs, we do all this. I sit in my chair, my comfy chair. If I had cushions and stuff, they'd be even more comfy and all stuff. Worst thing we did in church is make like super padded pews and put like movie seats in there so people could recline and just like, this is great because nobody's getting up anymore. And the call is, is that we have to stop just sitting around and get up and do something. Our faith is the way we live. It's the way we act. It's what we say. It's what we do. It's not something we just experience on a Sunday morning. And Matthew understood that. He got up from sitting to following. Movement is required to follow Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? If you say, I follow Jesus, I am a disciple of Jesus, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, then their movement is required. That's why I think Jesus says so much. He says, if you say you love me, then why don't you do what I say? Why don't you live the way I've shown you? Why don't you talk to those people? Why don't you sacrifice and give and serve and do all this stuff that there's an action combined to it? It is easy. It is easy to talk about faith. I was a master of it growing up. I was the perfect church kid, man. I knew, I knew the verses in King James. I could do it all. It was good. But until God said, I want to be more than just a savior. I need to be your Lord. I need to run your life, and you need to follow and do the things that I've asked you to do. My faith didn't become real until I was like 19 years old, until I surrendered and said, okay, God, now I want to live like this. That's when it becomes real because movement is required. We can't just sit around and say, amen, praise God, praise the Lord, wave a hanky and sing some songs because that does absolutely nothing to change the world. Nothing. 
I've said it before and I will keep saying we cannot be the church in here if we're not the church out there living it. We have to live it out there. It is action. It is movement. And it is going the way that God has called us to do. And when we do that, man, we are transformed. Everything about us is transforming. Look at verse 10. Look at what's going on after this. Matthew gets up. And where does Jesus go? He's like, Matthew, hey, let's go to your house. Let's have dinner. Invite your friends. Let's go hang out. Verse 10, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Look, look what happened here. Here Matthew all of a sudden realized that he needed a Savior, met the Savior, was transformed in his life, gets up, goes to his house, and he probably had parties there all the time. But this was different now. Because now Matthew, who do you think made all the food? Matthew. All that money that he got from tax collecting, he was like, okay, we're going to have a banquet. I'm going to invite the worst, all the worst people in the world that I can. All my friends, all those people that my mama said don't hang out with, they're coming over. And we're going to sit around the table. And so the very first transformation is all of a sudden when we understand that we are called, then the way we use our resources should be transformed. I'm telling you, you can invest in the stock market. You can invest in all that stuff. And, and I encourage you to do that. I mean, it's crazy. I've never lost money in the stock market. I just want you to know that. I brag about that. I've never had enough money to put in the stock market, but I've never lost money in the stock market. I mean, do all that. But that's going to go away. I want to invest in things that last for eternity, and that is other people. And if my resources mean that, if I have to take a pay cut, or if I have to do something without getting paid, or, or give up my money or my house for the kingdom, that's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. My treasure is in heaven. And it is people. Because that's what I want to invest in. That's where my resources go. And, and I got to tell you something. The, the church needs resources. We need resources. God has blessed us the last couple of years. And I think that he's going to continue to bless us. But there are bills to pay. And I, you know, I got in trouble with our elders last year or the year before because I kept saying, okay, we need new cables. So I'm not going to get paid. And they yelled at me and said, no, you've got to get paid something. And, and so for us just to maintain, but I think God's calling us to grow. And so maybe God is challenging you. And I know we don't like talking about money in church, but Jesus talks more about money than he does anything else. You know that? Next couple of weeks, starting next week, we're going to put little cards on the seat, and we ask all our, all our attenders, all our members to sit down and say, hey, this is what we pray about, and say, God, this is what we feel like we can commit to this year financially for the church. Because that's how we make our budget here. I don't sit there and go, like, we had this much of a budget. Okay, we're going to have this much of an increase. I don't do that. We, we have a zero budget at this church. Then the year we have spent, this year we have spent everything that we budgeted on the things we budgeted. Because I don't want to leave money for anybody. <laughs> if the church closes, I don't want like the Baptist Convention coming out like, you got any left in your bank account? No, we spend it all on ministry and on lives. And that, that's how we do it here. And so maybe God is telling us, I'm going to use my resources to invest in things that matter. The eternity. And so that transforms. But, but not only that, it transforms how we see our relationships. These guys that Matthew hung out with that nobody else would hang, hang out, tax collectors and sinners, it says. <laughs> He must have worked at City Walk. Um, <laughs> he invited his friends for one reason, one reason only, so they could meet the Savior that he met. 
And it doesn't say that they all like when they all got saved and all their lives were transformed and they gave their money and all this stuff. And, and I said, maybe there was just one. <coughs> we have got to be not just a welcoming church. We have to be an inviting church. If you believe what we're doing here, we have to be able to go out and tell people like, hey, man, come here about Jesus. Come be a part of this family. Come be a part. Keep inviting. Keep inviting because our relationships, they're not coincidences. The friends you have, the people you hang out with, the people you work with, God has placed you there as a witness and a testimony of his glory and his grace. Leverage that. Because when we answer this call, it should change our relationships. And not, not don't, you know, don't be one of those people that, you know, like, like I'm just, I'm just going to beat people with a Bible. I believe the gospel and the gospel message is a very relational message. I think we make friends with people. I mean, don't answer this, but how many friends do you have that are not followers of Jesus? If all your friends are just Christians, isn't that what Jesus said? The healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick. If all your friends are just Christians, what good are you doing for the kingdom? We are called to be in the world but not part of the world to be a light in the darkness and we have God has given us relationships and intersections every day I pray every day God just give me let me intersect with one person that needs to hear about you today and you know there hasn't been a day that's gone by that I've prayed that 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 hasn't happened not one day I can think of that that hasn't happened and so that that is transformed there's another thing that happens when we answer this call, and I'm going to give you a warning. Look at verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw the disciples, or when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with the wrong people? Why, why, why are you doing, what, what are you doing that? And listen, I've been a part of those churches before. This will never be that church. Because I tell you what, if you're like, well, I don't know if those people should be in here, I'll ask you to leave before I let them leave. Because this should be a place where every person can walk through that door and hear about the grace and love of God. We're not going to bend on our doctrine. We're not going to bend on what the word says. And we're not going to compromise. But the church should be a place where everybody can walk through the door because this is a place where we realize that we all need a Savior. And the foot of the cross is level ground. Not one of us is better than anybody out there or in here. But because of that, when we live this calling, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, man. You're going to have to, you're going to get ridiculed. I hear it all the time at City Walk. Like, oh, the pastor's here. Oh, yeah. I had one lady literally get mad at me because they moved Rock the Universe to February and took away Harry Potter weekend. <laughs> it's like, it's y'all's fault. I don't have my magic anymore. I'm like, I'll give you some magic. Get out of my face. <laughs> I said, we don't have Harry Potter anymore because they're all like 30. They don't want to come. <laughs> You're going to get ridiculed for your faith, but we learn how to respond. And look how Jesus responded. It was always in love. It was always in truth. And so we learn how to respond to that, but we need to, we need to expect that. So what Paul was talking about back in Galatians 1.10. He says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I wanted to make the world happy, I would not be a pastor. 
I would not follow Jesus. Because we stand against everything that it stands for. And I can promise you the day is coming that what I preach and what I speak will be considered hate speech. And if that's the case, go ahead. Because I'm not here to please people. The only thing I ever want to hear in all eternity is one thing. Well done, good and faithful servant by my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. That's all I want to hear. We're not here to please people. And sometimes we're going to rough feathers and it's going to become more evident as the days go on. People want their ears tickled. They, they, they want to be like told what they like to hear and everything. They, be, they, we, they don't want us to talk about sin. They don't want us to talk about purity. They don't want us to talk about righteousness and holiness. Can I just tell you this, this little segue? I love grace. I live for grace. It's why we name this church grace. It's because my life is marked with grace. I believe in grace, and I love the love of God, and I love the mercy of God. But you cannot have any of that without the holiness and the righteousness of God, too. It doesn't work. You've got to have both. And so, yes, we, we will get... See, there's a cost to this calling, and I, I want you to know that. I know there's people that will preach and tell you, like, just trust Jesus and everything will be fine. You can get a jet plane if you just have enough faith. <laughs> just trust him. It's all good. It ain't true. It ain't true. Turn back to Matthew 5 with me. Greatest sermon ever preached was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Look at what he says in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Do you understand that if we are truly following Jesus, we shouldn't fit in this world? We shouldn't fit in the schemes of this world. We shouldn't look like this world. I love what Francis Chan said years ago. He says, I don't understand why so many people say that they follow Jesus. They, they are followers of Jesus. They are followers, disciples of Jesus, and yet none of them look anything like him. We're not supposed to look at This is not our home. It should be uncomfortable. Listen, City Walk New Year's Eve was uncomfortable, and I was praying for people, and they didn't know it because they were drunk, and they didn't remember, but I was like, God bless you. <laughs> Please take a cab. Because I, so, I saw thousands of people trying to fill their life with anything that would just make dull the pain, dull the hopelessness, dull it. And the thing is, is they woke up the next day, and all that was back. I know people that just strive and strive. I, I knew a guy that had so much money, he had his own indie car. He was one of my, on my committee when I worked for Young Life. He, the, his friends didn't know what to get him for his birthday. And so they went to his mansion, and they bought him a Frisbee golf course. <laughs> Full 18-hole all over this, and he housed. And I remember sitting down with him and just saying, you know, hey, Jim, what's going on? How's it going and stuff? I know you stepped down, but I missed you. And, and how's your life? He's like, man, I've got everything I've ever wanted. And none of it is enough. We don't look like the world when we follow Jesus. And if they hated him, man, they're going to hate us. But what good company we're in. What good company we're in. 
Jump back over to chapter 9. Why does Jesus do this? He says it so clearly. Verse 12. Verse 12 and 13, look at it and says, when he heard the Pharisees and their complaining and their, their ridicule, look at what he says. He says, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. His mission is our mission. It is our mission every year. And over the next couple of weeks, man, I, I pray that God just reveals how you fit into that, what that looks like in your life. But, but, but I, just, I just want, you know, just in your heart, does this burn it all? Is there like a little flame saying, man, I can, I can make a difference because of Jesus in me. I could, this community that is going crazy can change because of Jesus. And I carry that with me. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If God, just give me one more. One more relationship. One more opportunity to sacrifice or serve. One more opportunity to give and, and, and invest. One more. Just give me one more. Is that your prayer today? My favorite movie. It's become my favorite war movie um, of all time. I'm going to show you a clip. And, and my prayer Is that you start praying, God, give me one more. Give me one more.
One more. I got to tell you, that's my prayer for this church. That's our theme for this year. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Listen, I know some of us are tired. Some of us know, like, God called me to something or to do something. And I know it's hard and it's exhausting. But my question for you today is, maybe God is saying, hey, one more. One more person I'm going to invite, God. They've said no over and again. God, help me to invite one more person. God, help me to share the gospel with one more person. Help me stick around for one more year, one more month, God. Listen, I, I know more than anybody else that my heart is for this church to grow, and we have kind of just, we've maintained in everything. And so it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, I may be done. I, we, we had an old saying in the Army. That whatever the last orders you got, you complete those orders until you get new orders. And if God hasn't changed a call, if God placed a call in your life sometime, some life, and that hasn't changed, and he hasn't added a new call, a call to your life, or, or moved you, or did any of that stuff, then I just want to challenge you to just keep praying, God, one more. One more day. One more week. One more person. One more chance. One more. One more. We are made permission and we are all called this morning I just want to ask you and leave you with this what's your one more one more let's pray